Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I need to say first and foremost, happy birthday to my son, Amos. Today, he turns 16 years old. I cannot believe it. So happy birthday, Amos Ivey. You are a joy to parent, and I love you, buddy. The funny thing is, he'll never hear that because he doesn't listen to my show, but whatever. Here it is, guys. Today, my guest is Mark Clark. Mark is the founding pastor of Village Church in Canada, and its passion is to reach skeptics and challenge Christians. He's the author of The Problem of Jesus, which is what we spend a lot of our time talking about today. I highly recommend this book. It's called The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. And Mark is the perfect guy to write this because he was a skeptic of Jesus. In today's show, we talk about things like the deconstruction in the North American Christianity. We also dive into how it is that people can use Jesus as almost like this free pass to heaven or just a label to scroll through life with. I really, really, really enjoyed this conversation with Mark Clark about his book, and I think you're going to as well. And in fact, like we've been doing always, there is a bonus content episode over on YouTube. You go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube, and I'll tell you more about it at the end of the show about what I asked him. Okay, guys, it's almost the end of May, and I want to remind you that every single month, on the first day of the month, Aaron Ivy, my husband, and I release a new Marriage Challenge episode for you. Now, this Marriage Challenge that we have, we started in January, and we decided we wanted to sit down with another couple and just talk with them about some of the things that we're all trying to figure out within our marriages, and we give that to you for free, but you have to sign up to get it. Also, in that email that you get every month is an idea of date conversations. We think talking about things within your marriage is how things make progress. And so we give you some questions you could go through. And we also give you some further reading because you know I love recommending books to all you guys that will listen to me. So right now is a great time for you to sign up. It is free. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be my age. I don't care who you are, but if you want to learn from these amazing couples, sign up right now. Go to AaronAndJamieIvy.com. And if you scroll down, you'll see Join the Marriage Challenge right there. I'd love for you to join us. Now, when you join, you get all the past guests as well. In January, Jenny and Zach Allen sat with us and we talked about how do you plan for success in your marriage? In February, Joe and Suzanne Stabile sat down and we talked about our engagements and what it looks like to walk through an engagement well. In March, we sat down with the Parkers and talked about what does love actually look like in a marriage. In April, we sat down with the Mudamollies, Joel and Brittany, and we talked about how we serve each other well. And then this month of May, we sat down with Corey and Willie Robertson and talked about cheering each other on. And in June, coming up just next week, we talk with Dave and Ann Wilson, and we talk about what does leadership look like within their marriage? What have the struggles been? What have the successes been? And we love this couple so much. So if you want to sign up to get free content from all these great people, go Go to AaronAndJamieIvy.com and you'll be signed up just in time to get the June content next week. 
Okay, friends, here is my conversation with Mark Clark. Mark, welcome to the happy hour. Well, thank you for having me. This is so exciting, and I feel even more exciting now because you told me before we started recording that you've met my husband before. And so I'm a fan of my husband, and so now I'm automatically a fan of you. Oh, well, good. He's a good man. Well, thank you for coming on. Would you introduce yourself and what you do and your family to the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So my name's Mark. I'm in Canada, so way up here, locked down, you know. You might be my only – I think I've only had – I mean, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I feel like I've only had yeah. one other Canadian on the show, and that's oh, not man. okay. Not okay. Well, you know, I like to say when I'm speaking to American audiences, I'm coming to you from the future in the sense of <laughs> where your, you know, culture is going in regard to post-Christianity over the next couple of years. Anyways, yeah, we're very different styles, right? Like Canada is very like, hey, government, you know, let us know when you want us to come out and we'll be there, you know, and <laughs> Americans are like, hoop the government, this is about liberties, you know, so it's pretty funny. Yeah, three daughters, a wife. I grew up in Toronto, skeptical home, agnostic, atheist, all that stuff. And then started going, became a Christian when I was like 18, started going to church. And anyway, moved out, got called to ministry, moved out from Toronto to Vancouver, BC. And that's where we are. Started a church about 11 years ago, 16 people in my house and just started telling people about Jesus in a pretty post-Christian scenario and uh, trying to reach skeptics like me. And God started to do some cool things and the church blew up and now it's, you know, a bunch of stuff going on. So I love it so much. Now I have to ask because you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you grew up with not even not Christian, but you said agnostic. How did you have an encounter with Jesus? Well, I'll give you a story that kind of illustrates this. So my dad, who ended up passing away when I was 15, he, when he's naming my brother, so I have an older brother. Uh, and they're naming us, of course. And they name my brother. My mom says, I want to name him Matthew. And my dad is so antagonistic toward Christianity. He says, we can't do it because, you know, it's a Bible book. And if we're going to do it, we have to spell his name with one T so we're not biblical. So on my brother's driver's license, his name is Matthew with one T. And then four years later, they have me and call me Mark. So clearly this guy's <laughs> never read a Bible before in his life. I don't know, you know. So anyway, so that was kind of my world, man. Skeptical world. And then uh, a guy started telling me about Jesus in high school. And I'm a pretty kind of um, rationalistic, evidential thinker. I want to know the science, the history, the art behind it. I wanted the psychology, the philosophy. So I started investigating Christianity and came to see that it was, you know, this amazing person named Jesus. Actually, you know, Augustine said that the Bible is the face of God for us now. Mm -hmm. And I really met Jesus by reading, like I've been sitting, smoke a pack of cigarettes, read the New Testament. And I just had an encounter and I would go tell people at two o'clock in the morning all over my city. I'd be like, you need to know Jesus. And dudes were getting hammered, like, what's up? And then I would be baptizing people at one o'clock in the morning in Lake Ontario, no joke. Two years before I ever walked into a church and got baptized myself. So it was like, God just like did this crazy thing in my life. I met Jesus. He changed everything for me. And uh, anyway, so I just started telling people about Jesus. And uh, yeah, like I said earlier, I was going to go into the film industry and do a bunch of stuff and just had an encounter with a bunch of people coming around me going, no, you're actually supposed to go do this thing Mm. called pastoring and leading and preaching. And I'm like, that is not for me. And God pursued me from like five different angles to the point I couldn't. Couldn't say no. You got Michael's Arts and Crafts store down there. Oh, yeah. 
All right. So I used to work. Don't tell anybody. Uh, I used to work at Michael's Arts and Crafts store for six ten an hour. And uh, it was just cigarette money. And I remember, and I don't know how I kept the job there. Cause like, I still don't know what they do. So people would come in and be like, <laughs> where are the googly eyes? I'd be like, Oh, that's aisle six. And I just run to the back. Right. Like, I, don't, I don't know what's in aisle six. And I just remember the day after some experiences, I was sitting there putting wreaths away in August or something. And I just felt like this pressure and it was the Holy spirit just going, the things these people have been speaking into your life, you need to actually follow it. I started to cry. Mm. I was like, I remember this call to ministry. So, you know, so clearly anyway, so that's how we got into this. I love that. And how long have you been married? I've been married since 2003, December. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And did you know your wife pre following Jesus? No, I met her at the church. So okay. I didn't really want to go to a church in my life because in my view, church was like the average age is going to be 104. It was going to be smell like mothballs, the old shag cart, you know, right. and I went to the first church I ever walked into was exactly like that. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was just you know, everything you thought anyway, it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. But she was singing up at the front, you know, and I was like, I'm in, man, let's go church. <laughs> you know, this is my thing. So yeah, we started dating actually shortly after I started to attend. So we've been together since 98. Oh, wow. Yeah. We, we dated for four or five years before we got married. So it was, it. we've been together a long time. So I yeah. love it. Well, you know, you have a book that came out in February called the problem of Jesus answering a skeptic's yeah. challenges to the scandal of Jesus. And reading parts of your book, I told you I haven't finished it, but I will because I love it so much. Reading parts of your book, it's not surprising that you needed to have all of these answers and, you know, logical and psychological and proof and all these things when you were following Jesus because you present that very well in your book. It's very well-rounded and explaining. Mm -hmm. And now even hearing your story of coming to Jesus, I'm like, of course he wrote this book because this is his story. And so yeah. I don't want to assume that about you, but what was your reasoning be behind writing this book? Yeah, well, exactly that. You know, when we started our church, my heart was like, how do I reach skeptics like me? So how do I disciple people? But then how do I do evangelism in a post-Christian culture to the agnostic, the atheist, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the, you know, people of other faiths? So I wanted to write a book that would convince them and answer all those skeptical, did Jesus exist? How do the gospels work? Are miracles legitimate in a scientific era? Jesus as the only way, Jesus as God, stuff people are actually asking about in both the skeptical world and the Christian world. Because, you know, even if you're already Christian, it's like, I got to figure these things out myself, mm. both to convince my friends, but also to convince my heart, to convince my life, to convince my mind. So I took everything I've thought and preached about Jesus for 20 years and went, how do I make this? So I, it's movies, it's stories, it's books, it's philosophy, it's the gospels, it's, you know, all of this stuff put into one thing. And then, you know, here's like my thing to the world of everything I've thought about Jesus for 20 years to help people. So, which honestly, if you guys are like, man, I've been having hard conversations with coworkers or students or children or parents, and they have questions you don't know the answers to. I'm just telling you, I'm not saying Mark has all the answers, but I'm saying there's a lot of answers in this book. So oh. <laughs> there's, there's that. Okay. I want to start here with something. You go through tons of different ideas here. Let me read a couple of the chapters you have here we go. The problem of the historical Jesus, the problem of the gospels, the problem of discipleship, the problem of loving God, the problem of miracles, the problem of Jesus' stories, the problem of Jesus' God, the problem of his death, and the problem of his resurrection. I want to talk about this in chapter five. It's more than a teacher. And I really resonated to a lot in this chapter because you told several stories about people that you knew that had this experience 
per se, and they prayed and asked Jesus into their heart. And that was their quote unquote salvation for them. And I'm 43, have lived in Texas most of my life, Bible Belt. And that would have been my story, Mark, is like I walked down the aisle when I was, you know, in third grade and met Pastor Williford. And then I was baptized and I sat in his office and I said, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but then lived like a crazy woman, but would have said, no, I, I prayed that prayer. I'm good. Sure. And then I had an actual moment with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so can you talk about that a little bit about this? Sure. Yeah. You call it this cost of following Jesus that so many people aren't willing to take. Yeah. It's actually a beautiful picture of it. So 269 times in the New Testament, it uses the word disciple. Three times it uses the word Christian. I kind of say, look, the paradigm for Christianity biblically is discipleship, which means we don't just take Jesus as savior from sin, from hell, you know, we take him as Lord. That means he's teacher. That means he's master. That means what you do with your sex life and your money and your family and your work has to be different. Like there's no version of Christianity in the new Testament. That's like, Hey, believe these things about Jesus divinity different than your neighbor, but still do Netflix, sex, money, family work, the exact same as all of them. That's not a thing. It's, hey, I'm going to give you an alternative because if it was that, all Jesus would need is a weekend with the disciples. Hey, I wrote a big systematic, you know, theology textbook. Here you go. Believe these things now. I'm out. But he doesn't do that. He spends because it's the whole life. It's the whole, the way you think, the way you live, all supposed to be alternative. And this thing that's like the kingdoms of the world versus the kingdom of God. So I think it has to be holistic. Mm -hmm. It has to be far more. So the stories I tell are people who are going to die in a car accident and they were just living however they wanted to live and said, I'm good. I prayed this prayer. That's all they told me I had to do. And I'm not challenging, of course, justification by faith and all those things. Those are obviously true, but it's like the paradigm Jesus gives is like, this is your entire life. Mm -hmm. This is taking Jesus as, as Lord every day your feet hit the floor, not just one time you raise your hand and then that's it. You move on with your life. Mm -hmm. We've compartmentalized our lives so much. It's like lowest comp. Like what's the lowest thing I have to do mm -hmm. to get in, you know? And then Dallas Willard, of course, asks this really convicting question. If he calls it vampire Christianity, like give me a bit of your blood Lord. And then I'll just leave me alone. And he says, you might want to ask the question whether when you get to eternity and you get to spend, you know, eternity in the presence of this person that you didn't find very interesting in this life, what's that going to feel like? Mm. And I think of it like, I live near the beach. I don't know if you live near. You well, know, Texas beach doesn't even count. So yeah, you know, you it's just, like, yeah. <laughs> it's brown water, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we live like 10 minutes from the Pacific ocean. So oh. a couple, yeah. So a couple yeah. weeks ago, my three daughters are like, dad, can we go to the beach? And I'm like, oh man, time with my daughters. This is legit. I had to preach in a couple hours. So I was like, oh, I'll read my notes, whatever. So I get all the stuff already. We all go down to the beach and I'm like, this is going to be, and they got two friends with them and they're like, okay, dad, you can go over there now. And I'm like, what are Wait, you talking about? Go over there now. Like I'm with you guys. They're like, no, dad, we're not going to be caught dead around you. You go. So they made me, Jamie, go 10 minutes down the beach. Okay. <laughs> and I'm by myself sitting there. I go set up all their stuff. But then of course, half hour into my time, I get a text. Hey, there's a creepy guy. I think he's videotaping us. Yeah. Uh, can you come scare him away? So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I go down, rah, scare the guy away. <laughs> he leaves, whatever. And then it's, hey, dad, go back to it. You know, and I'm just like, this is how we treat God. Yeah. Stay 10 minutes down the beach until I need you mm -hmm. and then come rescue me when I got problems. This yeah. is a compartmentalized life. Anyway, 
obviously the picture of discipleship isn't that. It's everything about our life. So yeah. So I think about that sometimes at church we're going through Matthew and we were just in the end of Matthew 19 when he was talking about it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And that passage is, it's alarming and it is kind of like, Time out, Jesus, what are you saying? And I think about, I mean, I'm in America, so I can speak to that, but I know that North American, we can all say this as well. It feels like Jesus has become such a pass for just some people. So I have Mm. two questions for you. Number one, how do you think we got here where Jesus to some people is just this card to get into heaven? And my second question is, how do we get out of that? Like, and I know discipleship is probably going to be your answer, but how do we get out of that with our churches and our children? I mean, I think about parenting and you're a parent. How do we get past that? I think how we got here was, and I talk about this, I think in that chapter about the God of comfort and the God, you know, we oftentimes think about, you know, Newbegin pointed out years ago that we don't live in a secular society as much as we live in a pagan society. And the difference between those two things is that people actually, it's not that people are blank slates. They actually worship something. They worship money, success, beauty, fame, sexual, you know, whatever. And so part of the Christian mission isn't to just convince people who are blank slates. It's to actually get them to stop worshiping the gods they worship and move over to Jesus. And so Sometimes we categorize that as all the big, bad, Mm. you know, gods, you know, power, sex, money. And we forget that there's these more domesticated ones like family and comfort Mm. that Jesus, you know, Luke nine, you can't even bury your father. We got to go, you know, you can't even, it's like, we become so comfortable and Christianity becomes this kind of domesticated suburban safe for the whole family kind of thing that we're like, well, of course, I'm not going to sacrifice anything to follow him. Mm. He's in the belief category of my life. And so I think what happens is we're not willing to go. He's calling me to do something uncomfortable in life. He's calling me to sacrifice. Things. So I think that's how we got here. We took Jesus. We figured out how to fit him into what we already dreamt up was the dream. Mm. And we went here, help us accomplish that. Yeah. You know, there's normal versions of that, which are things that you and I kind of live. And then there's like, Really extreme versions like prosperity gospel versions where it's like Jesus is literally the way that you're going to get stuff. Right. And, you know, I like to tell, I told my church, actually, when I was going to Australia, I don't love flying, but I do it a lot. But when I flew to Australia and met Aaron for the first time, I told my church, I said, look, I'm getting on a plane tonight. I'm going to fly 16 hours over the Pacific Ocean. And here's what the gospel tells me. It doesn't say that I'm not going to die tonight. It says that I'm safe and dying. And I think that's the difference between what Jesus offers. It's not like take me and all your problems and go away. It's take me and I'm going to root you in a kind of, you know, eternity that you're going to flourish and you're going to change your life. So anyway, so I think that's probably how we got here. And the way out, like you said, is to get a vision. And this is part of my heart and right of the book was how do we get, you know, you see all the deconversion, right? You see all the deconversion, all the deconstruction going on right now. Part of my heart is. And why the timing of the book's actually interesting in that conversation, because it's like, let's not walk away from Christianity because of reasons that the church has failed at following Jesus. Walk away from it if you want, but at least walk away from it from a clear picture of Jesus himself versus how Christians have just fumbled the ball in following him. Mm. And I think that's a distinction. It's uh, a big distinction. All, yeah, because I think we'd all walk away if it's like, well, the church was burning witches 300 years ago. Let's not be a Christian. It's like, well, 
Right. I was listening to a podcast, The Holy Post. Do you listen to that podcast ever? No. I love the podcast. It's Phil Vischer and Sky Tajani. And uh, they were interviewing someone and they were talking about this deconstructing and people walking away from the faith. And the guy that they were interviewing said, I would like to maybe suggest that maybe they didn't walk away from Christ, what he is originally established following him actually would be in the first place. That they're sure. walking away, just like you just said, they're walking away from this idea that's been jaded and misconstrued yes. about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I think it's a category mistake that we've made. And I got like a bunch of 20 somethings in my church and I look at them and usually the image I give them is from a writer that I read one time. He said, you know, if I'm walking along a path and you ask me what the way home is and I point you along that path and you're going along it, but I'm drunk and I'm stumbling along that path. It doesn't mean that path is any less the right and true way home. It just means I'm hammered trying to follow it, mm. you know? And I think that we have to be careful that we don't deconstruct and deconvert based on Christianity versus Christ. Mm. Based off a quote unquote drunk leader, not for real, yeah, maybe, who knows? Course. I know, but yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a few of those during COVID. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, a version of it, like let's get a clear picture of Jesus. Yeah. So like, you know, first couple chapters of the book are like, hey, what was Jesus actually about? What did he actually teach? Mm -hmm. Not like, what did we kind of, make him say, but what was he actually all about? Let's get a clear picture of that. And then if you want to walk away from that, if you're like, you know what? I read Jesus. I saw the clear actual presentation of the gospels of this person. And I don't like him fair, but don't do it because the church fumbles church discipline and doesn't do structure, right. And ecclesiology is a mess. And it, you know, I just want you to walk away for the right reasons. If you're going to do it. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You know, the thing about following Jesus, like you mentioned, safe for the whole family, and that's not what we see from him. And you have in chapter six, it's called the threefold invitation. And the invitation, I'll tell the three and then we can talk about them. Deny yourself. And these are all based off of scripture that Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then number three, follow me. And I think that those are demanding things. They are difficult things. And this is what it means to be a Christian. And so can we talk through these three and how maybe some, I'll use the word cultural Christians, like we've been kind of talking about, I don't know that these would be hitting home for them. And so what does it mean to look at yourself and say, am I choosing to deny? I'm picking up my cross and I'm following Jesus. So deny yourself is a beautiful message in the present cultural situation, right? Because the message of the new age philosophy is the opposite. It's find yourself, Mm -hmm. go inside of yourself because you have it within you, Jamie. Mm -hmm. You have all the ingredients to live. You, you're like divine. You're part of the God consciousness. You just have to find your inner perfection and let it shine, you know, all of that. And of course, Christianity comes along and goes, no, no, don't find yourself, deny yourself. Yeah. Now that's not deny yourself. Like in some kind of Eastern mystical kind of, you know, I'm such a bad person, whatever it's deny looking to you as the savior of all things, because what will happen is, you know, that that's a dead end. You know, Mm. that you can't trust yourself. You know, you're going to let yourself down. And the worst thing we can do is look to ourselves because I think I talk about this, Ernest Becker was in the seventies. He said, you know, one of the problems we have in modern psychology is that we've taken away the word sin. And all we do when we take the category of sin away from humankind is we put the burden back on humankind and humankind can't bear the burden. We're trying to figure out what's wrong with us because we know something's wrong with us. We just don't have a category for it. Mm -hmm. If you eliminate 
the inward brokenness of sin and lostness that we all have, right? And so the denial of self isn't just like, hey, beat up on yourself. Christianity is so, so lame and boring and it's all about sacrifice. It's like, no, 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 because God knows what's best for us. He knows that by denying ourselves and then filling us, you know, the other two, mm-hmm. you know, pick up your cross, meaning this isn't just about, you know, preacher, you know, what's the picture we give the world? Preachers and sneakers, guys wearing, you know, $10,000 t-shirts and gods and having like face palming, like, what do we got going here, guys? Like, yeah. what are we doing? This is pick up your cross is pretty. Like, that's not like a text I buried down in Jude or yeah, something right. that nobody reads. <laughs> it's in the gospels. Yeah, this is like dead center. And you guys are living like, you know, you got no cross, got no sacrifice. You're not willing to give your own life for this. And I think you look around the world and it takes a pretty Western mindset to go, oh yeah, Christianity. That's just like, that's all just easy stuff. You know, you said in that under pick up your cross, you said, Jesus didn't say, you said, notice Jesus didn't say pick up my cross. Right. You said our discipleship is not just a matter of accepting Jesus' pain and sacrifice for us, though he did suffer for us. Jesus instructs his potential disciples to take up our own crosses. That was interesting too. I'm like, man, I can see how you could switch those and it changes the whole narrative. Exactly. Because like if you're a church and you want, or a Christian and you want to focus on the center of the Christian message, it's like, it's about the cross of Jesus. Beautiful. The death, the resurrection of Christ Stop there. And we forget what you just said, that actually the text goes, pick up your cross, Mm. that there's a piece of Christianity that's actually about you. It's about your life and how you are living in the world, your habits, your mindset, your belonging, your praxis, you know, all of that. And so, and then of course the follow me is the, this isn't just about beliefs. It's actually every, you get a, like a master, you get a teacher who's going Mm -hmm. to, it's not just about, okay, I believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now I move on because if it was just that, then the gospels could be very short. I mean, you're going through Matthew, you're in chapter 19. You could probably just start in 25, 26. You could probably start if it was only about the death and resurrection, but there's all this teaching and that's the part of it. It's like, yeah, Jesus, like, yes, this isn't what saves me. Mm. It's the difference between kind of the means of salvation and the trajectory of where salvation goes. Living a life that Jesus asked me to live, that's not how I'm going to be saved. But man, when I am saved, this is the life I live. Yeah. And so that's what his whole call of follow me is about. This whole chapter here reminds me of when I start to feel like in America, we're just fighting over the dumbest things sometimes in churches. Right. And I don't know what it's like in Canada, if you guys care about these things. I start to think like we're fighting over the dumbest things. And then, you know, what's wrong with our church here, our American church. And I remember one time I was lamenting this to my friend, Chris Kane, and she was like, then she started telling me, of course, she's got her hand all over the world with A21. They're in all these countries. And she started telling me about the way the gospel is spreading. And I'm with my friend Jenny at IF, and she interviews a pastor in the underground church in the Middle East. And he's like, we're the fastest growing, you know? And I, and I I read books and it's like China's going to have more Christians in their country by like 2050 than here. And I remember this chapter, this is how people are following Jesus is these three things of deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And you tell a story in here about going to Turkey and meeting and where you were on the plane. So can you talk about that? Because that and not to be like morbid and you're not trying to be morbid here either. But the reality is, is that in North American Christianity looks different than in most places around the world. And these chapters sums it up for me. Yeah. And I remember reading somewhere a couple of years ago, it was this great point about if you look at almost any religion in the world, it kind of remains almost where it was birthed geographically. 
Mm. Okay, so if you look at Islam, it's mostly Middle Eastern. If you look at Buddhism, it's mostly in Asia. The places kind of almost retain Hinduism, India, almost retain this sense of geographical area. But Christianity, the person pointed out, began in the Middle East, moved to Europe and Rome, and then it got on a boat and it came across to North America. And now it's moved to Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And they pointed out that the reason it moves like that is because when it gets into power, it dies because it flourishes on the margins. Mm. So when we seek out putting this thing into power, it's Mark chapter 10, James and John walk up to Jesus. Can we get stuff done through power? And Jesus is like, guys, have you not been paying attention? Where have you been the last two years? (laughs) Right. So to your point, why is it, you know, we talk about, oh my goodness, I can't believe, you know, there's these countries where the churches get nationalized and the pastors get imprisoned and all this kind of, and it's like, yeah. And it's precisely because of those things that Christianity is spreading faster in those mm. places. Because what has to happen in that moment? The church has to start being the church versus, hey, I have a pastor. He's going to entertain me from the stage. I'm going to come. I'm going to be a non-contributing zero who watches and moves on with my life. It's like, I've got to actually, you know, it's fascinating. I talk about this often at conferences and stuff. It's like Matthew 18 has this image of, you know, you're supposed to do church discipline. So, you know, your girlfriend does a sin and you're supposed to go over and bust her chops. And then you're supposed to bring two other girls with you. And, you know, notice nothing in that text says, call the elders. It's you do it. Mm. You're the church. Go be the church for people. Thousands of people be the church in the everyday. That's when things start to flow. So Mm. anyway, Coming back to your point, yes, it was it was in Turkey and the person, uh, people had died following Jesus in Turkey about a week before we got there. Some extremists had killed them. And I realized after reading Mark chapter nine, like God's like, look, I care about the spread of the gospel in a way where I'll even, we oftentimes go, you know, God's going to use my life to spread the gospel. With these guys, he used their death to spread the gospel. And that's literally what Mark eight and nine talk about is if you love your life more than the spread of the gospel, you haven't even understood the gospel. Could God use your death for his glory? Could God use your suffering to actually accomplish things in the world? We don't think like that. And that's not safe for the whole family either, Mark, because that's scary. (laughs) I think about, remember that song we used to sing, he gives and takes away, you know, Job chapter one. I'm not sure we knew what we were singing there. I think we just like this. Yeah. Sounded good. It sounded good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about the parable and Jesus' stories. And this goes into chapter 12, the meaning of Jesus' parables. And you spend time in here talking about one specific parable that most people growing up in church have known about, the parable of the lost son. And you can recap the story if you want. But I want to say this. The very last line in that chapter, it says, Jesus used stories to create a scandal, a crisis of faith in each listener that demands a response to his new vision of reality. And so talk a little bit about how, when you talk about the meaning of Jesus' parables and the specific parable that you use, why was that important for you to include in this book? Because I think, and I mean, you and Aaron would kind of understand this sentiment. I think Christianity is good at like, hey, tell me what it means. And then we kind of tell people what it means. What we struggle with is like, like how many sermon series are done on the parables? It's like, oh, let's do Romans again. Because it's like, it's just clear. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is living in a world where he wants to do something more than just tell everyone what to believe. He wants to like restructure what we think about God, ourselves, salvation, heaven, hell, money, everything. And he does it through telling stories. Like one of the great categories for Jesus from the secular world was he was a parabolist. So 
you know, I tell the story at the beginning of the book about being in a coffee shop and I used to do this really dumb thing and invite anybody who wanted to just come into a coffee shop and ask me any question they wanted. Right. And so this one guy from the back said, what do you think Jesus would be doing today if he was alive and, you know, on planet earth? And I said, he'd probably be making Netflix specials or movies because this is what he did with his life. Instead of just saying, here's how salvation work. He said, oh, there's seeds and they fall on the ground and there's two brothers and there's birds snapping at things. And this is what he did. And I think this was because he wanted to capture the imagination of people and restructure everything we thought about salvation. And he wanted to say, you got it wrong. Mm. So I'm going to bring the kingdom in a new way. And I want to capture not just your reason. James K. Smith talks about this. And I love this, this idea that like the most powerful thing about us in our life, it's not how we think, it's what we feel. It's our gut. So the mall, for instance, or Amazon, Amazon doesn't need to convince you. It just needs to inspire you. It gets you not by reason. It gets you by sparkle. Mark, right now, I just want to tell you, this is Instagram ads for me. I bought so many things because I'm like, (laughs) I feel like I need this. Yes, yes, I'm near you. I love that, Jamie. So you think of the word you just said, I feel like I need this. What we forget is that what we feel is way more powerful than reason in our life. When we make decisions. When you decided to marry Aaron or the clothes that you wore today or where you're going to go for dinner tonight, you know, whatever, all of this is driven by our pleasure. That's the main motivating factor of the decisions we make in our life. And so I've done marriage counseling with how many people and I've sat with them. I, you know, planted a church 11 years ago. And for until we were like 1200 people, I was the only pastor. I finally hired a second pastor at 1200 <laughs> back in like 2012. Cause I was like, I can't handle all the, you know, so marriage counseling, she'll leave the room. Hey dude, you're not a good fit. You have no hobbies. This is going to be a disaster. And he goes, yeah, yeah, but she's hot. How many times do we do that in our Mm -hmm. life, right? We make decisions. Our reason tells us this, but our gut tells us this. And so my point is Jesus isn't just trying to get your reason. Mm. He's trying to get your gut because that's what's going to actually drive your life. That's what's going to make you choose to follow, to repent of sin, to join the kingdom. It's not just, oh, I got convinced. It's I got wowed. Mm. I got inspired. And so when you talk about the parable of the prodigal son, how do you think Jesus does this with that particular story? Yeah, I think he does. You know, I tell the story about a book that I read years ago called The Seven Basic Plots that talks about how every story we've basically told for thousands of years fits into these seven basic frameworks, you know, overcoming the monster, comedy, tragedy, you know, rags to riches, you know, basically Cinderella is pretty woman, you know, Jaws is Beowulf, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I talk about how the prodigal son fills out all of those stories Mm. in a special way. And I kind of go through and I realized that one day, and then I went and drew up on my whiteboard, like, how does it overcoming the monster? How is it that, you know, but I think that's why it's powerful. And then of course, it looks to both groups, the religious person, the older brother and the younger brother, as Tim Keller points out in his book. It, it says, look, we preach it as if it's like just younger brother stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're drinking, you're liberal, you don't like God. You went off, slept with prostitutes, got with the pigs, and then you came to the end of yourself, you repented, you came back to God, which is such a beautiful part of the story. Right. But then we stop preaching and mm-hmm. we forget there's another few verses with this older brother who goes to church. He has a Bible with handles on it. He loves his devos in the morning. He says to his father, I've never done anything wrong against you. And at the end of the story, he's left out of the party because there's two ways to be lost. There's a irreligious, secular, agnostic, atheist way. And there's the religious way where I trusted in my own performance 
rather than the performance of Jesus for me. And in the end, if I do that, I'm actually not in the kingdom. Mm. Right. Like, and I think I closed the chapter with this picture of read somewhere where at the end of the day, we're going to stand before God and there's going to be one question on the table. It's going to be either you put your own performance in front of God and say, I never swore. I never watched bad movies. I never did this. I never did that. Or you put the performance of Jesus for you in front of God and say, please Mm. judge me on this. And then I have no hope in the first one. I'm a disaster. I'm a wreck. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be Jesus' performance for me. So I think that's what the parable is trying to do. I love it. And I love Tim Keller's book on that as well. I want to go back to a chapter we already discussed because the threefold invitation, because I read this and you really struck me at the end. We went through the whole thing with deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, all those things. And then you finish the chapter with this. And oh my gosh, here we go. I loved it so much. You said... A profound question is lurking under the surface like some unseen predator. The issue sometimes isn't if we are following Jesus, but why? You said James and John were doing it to be successful. Why are you following Jesus? What is your motivation? And I'm telling you, that made me stop and think. Mm -hmm. It really made me stop and think. And then I was thinking, well, why would anyone follow Jesus except for the right reasons? And mm-hmm. so I guess I'm just like, I never thought about that before, Mark. Why have I never right. thought about why I'm following Jesus? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh my gosh, am I a Christian? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it's a profound question. I think we celebrate anytime someone shows any interest in Jesus, we celebrate it and we applaud it. But we don't ask the second question, which is why? Mm. Because I think in our life, in our soul, the way we are, there's always a number of reasons why we do anything, right? And the point of the James and John thing is they're following Jesus, but it's to get power. Mm-hmm. You know, why is Judas following Jesus? I have no idea. Why is Peter, you know, what are the motives? So I know people who they plant churches in life because they want to get affirmation for people. Feels like a lot of work for some affirmation. <laughs> I know. It's like, dude, there's much easier ways to do that, <laughs> right. as you guys know. Or maybe it's, you know, why are you coming to my church? Because I look mm. around, you're in the foyer and you keep handing out, you know, your realtor cards. Mm. What's the motivation behind our following of Jesus in the end? Mm. And I think that's just an important question to ask us. Is it pure? Is it like, because I get God, mm. right? I think that's, you know, we forget that that's the promise of the gospel. It's not mm. that you get God's stuff. And oftentimes that's what we reflect on. It's, gift above giver. And it's like, what if all I could promise you, what if all the gospel promised you wasn't like great meals in heaven and getting to see grandma and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you get God. Mm. That's the best treasure of all treasures, you know? And I think once we let that kind of affect our heart, then we get motivated to follow Jesus for the right reasons, which is I get more of you, not I get more of the results of knowing you. Mm. Mark, I told you this in the beginning. I really love this book, The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. And Jesus is scandalous. And the whole Mm. safe for the whole family is is a myth that we've developed here, especially in, you know, North America. And I am grateful for moments that remind me that there is a high cost for following Jesus. And I think it's real easy to skip over that in America. And... Man, I was reading through Mark and I was reading that, like, take up your cross and follow me. And I literally remember writing down, like, I don't want to, but I will, whatever it is. And I think that is where I find my heart of like, God, I will. And it's so hard. So thank you for your words. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I would love to know from you, what are you reading? I can tell you are a ferocious reader. Yeah. My thing has always been trying to read widely. I just love. So, you know, I had someone say, to me recently, something that no one had ever said to me before. They said, I think one of your things is you're very curious. Mm. I had never been kind of pitched it that way before. And then I looked around my desk and I was like, oh yeah, there's a book on how the population of the world's declining. And then there's a book on philosophy. Then there's a book on psychology, you know, so kind of all over the map. But right now I am reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Bomber Mafia that just came out, The God Hypothesis by Stephen Mayer, The Making of Goodfellas. Think Again by Adam Grant, uh, Carl Truman's latest book on human self, a bunch of commentaries in the Gospel of John, because I'm, you know, preaching through John. Preaching so through anyway, John, are, yes. Yeah, yes. the random things I'm reading right now, yeah. I love the variety of books that you just threw out for sure. I love that so much. Mark, seriously, thank you so much for coming on The Happy Hour. Awesome. Well, I thank you for this. having me. You're doing a great job, Jamie. You're blessing a lot of people. So thank you for your podcast. Thank you. Friends, I love this episode so much. And, you know, I asked Mark about our why. That was really profound for me when reading his book of why are we following Jesus? And in the bonus excerpt that we have over on YouTube, if you go to youtube.com slash Jamie Ivey, I ask him, how do we as leaders, how do we keep our why we are following Jesus in check? We have a really great conversation about that that you're not going to want to miss. I'll give you a clue. One of the things he said in that conversation that's only on YouTube, he said, running a church is different than Christianity. Think about that for a second. If you are a leader in your church context or a leader in ministry or a leader in your family, whatever that might be. So go to youtube.com slash Jamie Ivey and you can hear that whole conversation that Mark and I had. Friends, if you want to get his book, it is The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. And after listening to the interview, you know that Mark is a really great guy to write this book because he did have to have all of his challenges answered as he was a skeptic to the faith as well. Don't forget, if you want to join our marriage challenge, it is never too late to work on your marriage. Never too late to start thinking about your marriage. Never too late to start having these hard conversations. Go to AaronandJamieIvy.com to sign up today. And also, happy birthday, my sweet Amos. Today's show was mixed and edited by the team at Podshaper. The music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I am your host, Jamie Ivey, and I am so very grateful and thankful that you joined us today on this very last Wednesday in May and almost my kids' last day of school. Can I get an amen and a hallelujah for all the kids and all the moms as well? Guys, come back here on Friday for a phenomenal conversation. Have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you next week.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.